Grab your favorite caffeinated beverage and get cozy because you are listening to Mindful as a Mother with Paige Bruce and Lindsay Adams. Hey, hey, I just wanted to pop on here real quick before the episode starts and give a quick disclaimer. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for therapy or the therapeutic relationship, and the information given in this podcast is purely for educational purposes and is not intended to replace the advice of a professional. Now that that's out of the way, I really hope you enjoy this episode. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review if you enjoy it because it helps the podcast grow. And don't forget to be peace, be love, be mindful as a mother. Hello and welcome back to Mindful as a Mother. Lindsay here. I'm here with Paige as usual. And we have a very special guest today, but first say hi, Paige. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. We're in season three. Mm-hmm. Do you want to tell everyone who our guest is? Yes. So we have um, invited Lenora Edwards back to our podcast. She's a speech language pathologist and she works for and with Better Speech. And so we're very excited to have her here to talk about the accessibility of services, why it's important as part of the treatment team when we're working with an individual that may or may not have ADHD or some type of neurodivergence, um, and then how you can just access her and better speech itself. I was just thinking, I think she's our first guest to come on twice, too. Yeah. That's very super exciting. exciting. <laughs> yeah. So say hi, reintroduce yourself to everybody. Hello again, everyone. My name is Lenora Edwards, and I am so excited to be back here with Lindsay and Paige. The previous time that I got to spend time with you guys, I only got to experience um, our conversation with Paige. So I'm super excited that Lindsay's able to join today. No um, kids are barfing today. No kids are barfing. Amen. <laughs> that I know of. <laughs> that I know. <laughs> so we're super excited and uh, whatever you guys have in mind that you'd like to talk about and and share and educate with people, I am completely on board and in with. Yeah, I love that. So thank you again for joining us. Um, If you guys are new here in season three is your first season, you haven't found us on socials. Lindsay and I are very passionate about the accessibility of resources and that every parent should have access to resources that help them show up to be the parent they want to be. So that's primarily why we have strategically invited several different people onto our podcast this season to talk about the correlation of of what they do with what we experience when you have ADHD yourself or you're parenting a child with ADHD and then how to access them because sometimes there's a lot of barriers and you need a lot of support in advocating for that. And so with that, I would like to ask you, Lenora, what is, would you say, is a relationship between ADHD and speech and language services that you see? There are so many, so many important things here. And I love that your mission is to educate as many people as possible and to share the resources that you have, because we at Better Speech are completely passionate about that, that very same thing. And I truly feel the more we can educate people and the more we have conversations about it, the more we can, A, normalize talking about it, but also really share each other's experience with it and share that story because you never know how a story may resonate with somebody and light up 
completely different perspectives with other families and, and other individuals. So I love, love, love the mission that you are on, full support of it. Um, so with ADHD, some, some things that we notice when it comes to speech and language development is if there is some difficulty focusing or if there is some difficulty focusing in the sense that they quite literally aren't focused on what you're saying. So quote unquote, people may think, oh, they're not paying attention to me. There might be other reasons that your little one isn't paying attention to you. And typically they're not doing it on purpose. If they're engrossed in a video game or something, that's a different story. But typically if you call your little one from the other room, they, hey, Joey, come here. They are going to respond to their names. And if they're not, what else is going on? And some people do brush it off as, oh, they're just being stubborn. And it's really not the case. It may be that they're actually having difficulty hearing you, but also understanding. So I know last time I talked about language and language is actually two parts. We have the, the ability to understand language, which is the receptive part of language. Everything that you guys are doing right now and that the audience is doing, they're listening, they're understanding language. That's the receptive component. And that includes answering, uh, understanding the difference between a sentence and a question, understanding the difference between a command and a yes, no question or a WH question, those types of pieces of information. And then we have the expressive language component where everything that I'm doing right now is the expressive component. And especially with little ones with ADHD, they may also have difficulty understanding written language. Written language is understanding the receptive component that is, and the expressive is writing language. So when a little one is experiencing ADHD, whether it may be difficulty focusing in conversation, difficulty focusing on a story, whatever the case may be, that is definitely a sign of something else going on. And it can absolutely impact speech and language development. As you were talking, I was just thinking about an experience I had last night with my oldest kiddo where she was in the other room and I was like putting together our dinner plates and I was like hey da, 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 it's time for xyz like I asked you know move on with my day move on with making mm -hmm. these plates and like 30 seconds to a minute later I'm like hey it's time like I need you guys like I need you in here it's time until so I felt myself starting to get angry and then I was thinking about um what a, it's a toxic communication seed of me not being present with her, especially knowing her neurological differences. So I, I was like, okay, so it's not an intentional, she's ignoring me because she wants to do whatever she wants. And so I physically put myself in the same room with her. I made eye contact, like, okay, our time is up. It's time to come have dinner. And then she was really responsive. That's yeah, awesome. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, go right ahead, Lindsay. Oh, I was just going to say same thing with Sam. Um, my seven-year-old is a very much like sometimes to get him to be able to focus, to pay attention, you have to like put your hand on his shoulder and like look him directly in the eye. It's not stuff that works really well. Just like me hollering from the other room, like come eat dinner. It's time to get off the tablet or whatever I'm saying. And um, I think it's easy as parents, if we don't know that our child has these differences, or if we're not educated about these differences to get really impatient really quickly um, but when you're educated about these things, you know, like, okay, if I do that, it makes things go so much more smoothly. And then there's not the fighting and the power struggle. And you're not thinking that your kid is deliberately not listening to you. Completely. You both said that so amazingly well to, to notice that why isn't somebody listening to me? 
And that, that moment of your brain going, Hey, wait, I'm saying something important. Why aren't they listening? But to also then recognize, okay, what are, what are the tools that I need to implement so that I can make sure I'm having complete engagement, but also keeping that emotional balance within us to help the children that we're with or to help the clients that we're with, whatever the case may be. When we can best manage our emotional response, there's such a better response with our little one. Because when we start to get, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? They're also following our emotion and their emotions are going to escalate as well. So the fact that we, we stay calm and we implement the, okay, let me go through my checklist. Why aren't they hearing me? What's going on? And going in and having that tactile cue of, of putting your hand on their shoulder and looking them in the face, completely different response, especially because it could have gone one way of a meltdown or the other way of, oh, I had complete engagement. They understood what I was asking of them. And those techniques worked, especially because then that little one understands these are the techniques that work well for me. I don't respond really well when I'm hearing a lot of shouting them. Absolutely phenomenal things to point out. I think this is a great segue into the next question that I had, which is what what would you say is a benefit of understanding the relationship um, for our kids with, with ADHD and speech and language? The benefit would be the more that we know, there's, there's so many things that I love about the internet and social media. We have the ability to educate as much as we possibly can. And, and if we especially look at our technology as a way to empower us rather than to take take away that power and kind of dumb us down. When we look at it as a tool that we can learn, we can learn different techniques. And the great thing is once we learn, we now have knowledge. Once we have knowledge, that knowledge is only so good until it's applied. The fact that we can apply these techniques and we can apply what we learn out in our everyday life is so important because when we can apply that knowledge and we can go through our checklist, okay, you know, I heard something on, on Instagram that if my little one isn't listening, I might need to look for some other things. So, so let me see what else is going on. How often are they listening and how often are they not listening? Is it only when I call them from another room? Is it when there's a, a, a tablet involved? Is it when they're sitting and reading and really starting to look at the clues as to what your little one is doing? And we have these great developmental milestones and they're phenomenal to use as guidelines. If they're not exactly where they are on that exact day, it's okay. But to still use it as a guideline, are they able to follow one-step commands? Are they able to follow two-step commands as they get a little bit older? Three and four-step commands. When you start to add in words like before, after, or um, do this only after you do that, but then next do this. Once you start to add in those more complex directions, are they following the sequence? Are they able to understand what happens first? What happens second? What happens third? Are they able to understand the storyline, especially when you're reading a story? Do they know what happened to Jack and the Fox? When in that story, once you close that book, are they able to answer questions? Are they able to answer questions as you're going? As you start to really look at your little one and not just jump to the first conclusion of, oh, this must be it. They must not want to listen to me. 
when you start to look at it and, and especially take a neutral stance of saying, okay, I see that they can do this. I see that they are having some trouble with this. We can get a better idea of where your little one is, especially when you come to work with a professional that's a, and you're coming to that professional saying, I have concerns. Great. What do you have concerns about? Is your little one expressing themselves in full sentences or are they using pieces of information? Are they using short phrases? So there's really um, such as, yeah, that's good. First, yes, I would like that. And it could get more complex, especially when you start to get into, into past tenses and, and adjectives and other descriptives. Language is ever evolving. And our little one, as they're growing, their language should be growing. So now if you have your three-year-old and they're saying something along the lines of, uh, the dog, the dog is mine. And now you have your five and six-year-old and they're still using those shorter sentences. Those are concerns for delayed speech. Are they able to communicate what they want, including their thoughts, what they think about the dog or what they think where they're going? So if you're on a car ride and you're saying, oh, we're going to go to the store, what might you think we'll find at the store? Those complex thoughts, they really are open-ended questions and they're intention is to hear the question, but then to also clearly produce an answer. So when you're concerned about that speech and language development, look at it as a whole and also look at what they can do, but what are they having some difficulty with? That's something. So um, my son's been in speech therapy his, since he was like two. Mm -hmm. And um, the school does it now, but awesome. that's always been really helpful to me as a his parent is the guidelines and knowing like, can he follow one step commands and looking at the developmental milestones? Because I'm the kind of parent who always feels like I need to be like working on something. And it feels <laughs> like it gives me that thing to like, okay, I know where he is. And maybe he's a little bit behind here or a little ahead here. And like, so I can focus on, you know, the two step commands at home. And it gives me that like, oh, I'm working on his speech, but it also creates the empathy for me because I'm able to see like, this is an area he struggles because he gets distracted in between step one and step two, or maybe he doesn't fully understand the order I set it in. And so it really helps me create that attunement and empathy with him, which is something we talk about a lot on the podcast, but even through speech and being involved in your child's speech and how they're processing information and being able to look at the guidelines in a object objective way, like not emotional about like, oh, they're behind, I'm freaking out. Like, okay, what can I try to be more consistent about at home. I love that. That was so beautifully said. And it, there are so many things, especially when you're in the home. I love being able to, so with Better Speech, we are an online speech therapy company. And I love that we offer, if you have questions or if, if anybody you know has questions about speech and language development, you can reach out to us at Better Speech and you can speak with a speech language pathologist for free for 15 minutes and ask your questions and, and have a better guideline. If you had concerns right now, you would go over to an outpatient clinic or into the school system and you might wait three to six months. I roll over at 2 a.m. with lots of questions. The next business day is my friend. So to ask me to wait six months is a very long time. But the fact that you can, that with better speech, we're online and we're in the home. When you can see and work with a professional that's quite literally in your home environment, it's a completely different ballgame because then we can actually offer more insight and saying, okay, 
well, where is the task being taking place? Let's say you're changing pajamas. Okay, are you doing it in one room that he's getting distracted? If there's a lot of toys in his room, that might really be a, a difficult challenge for him. So tailor it to how is best for them and say, okay, we're only gonna change our clothes in the bathroom where there's much less distraction. Or if you are if you're have an open concept room and somebody's watching TV and they're trying to attend to a meal, those are things that you want to be aware of because minimizing distractions and creating that supportive environment will allow you to really have more control over the situation, but also really be able to see where those difficulties are. So that way, when you're in another scenario, you can go, oh, you know what? Usually this isn't going on. Let me, let me tailor it to how I can so that we can have that supportive environment. And it's not in a catering to but it's setting them up for success. They want to be successful. They don't want, children don't naturally want to annoy you. They really uh, are doing their very best. <laughs> I love that you giggle a little bit. <laughs> they don't really want to annoy you. They, um, they, when you were talking, it made me think about my daughter who is ADHD and something that I just, I just had her parent-teacher conference yesterday and we're working right now really hard on reading, reading fluency and reading comprehension, which I think a lot of times parents don't necessarily associate reading with speech and language skills. I mean, like logically, if I say it, yes, but if someone's like, oh, I'm in speech therapy, it's like, mm -hmm. oh, well, reading, right? Not, I didn't think of it anyway. So if you're that parent, you're with me. But it made me think about how her teacher shared that she wrote a summary, but really struggled with beginning, middle, end, and how that is. And I was like, well, that makes sense. And, and I'm sure I always have this internal fear as a parent that me bringing up her neurodivergence is excusing, right? Like I am excusing or um, like enabling her mm -hmm. to not do her work, which to me isn't the case, but I'm like, okay, that makes sense because when you are neurodivergent, you have executive function differences. That's what I call them. We're differently wired. So it's neutral. We're it. not deficit. We're just different. Um, we're differently, differently wired and being able to create those sequential stories, understand those sequential stories, follow those sequential directions is a very big part of working memory, which exists in the executive function. And if I didn't do what I did or even had the opportunity to speak with you, I don't know that I would have picked up on that necessarily and been able to understand it completely and, and we often oh, well another one of my questions would be like what as a parent who doesn't know a lot about speech and language skills or who isn't very involved in it or who maybe isn't a therapist what are some things that we can look for and be like oh these are concerns so I can contact better speech that is a great question especially for when you hear if somebody says, oh, what do you do for a living? And I say, oh, I'm a speech language pathologist. I'm like, oh, you're a speech therapist. Yes. Oh, well, that's good. My speech sounds clear, right? And that's really just in our title, they think speech and the clarity, the articulation component. But truly as a speech language pathologist, as I'm, as I'm sure you guys know, there's way more involved in your field than just these two things that really stick out in people's minds. So I often tell people we work from the neck and up because we see people for feeding difficulties. We see them for language development and memory and sequencing and, you know, the, the, the entire birth to, to near, nearly passing away. We really see a huge, huge variety of people because these are areas that are really important, especially when you talked about reading and writing. And I love that you pointed out 
Yes, absolutely. Completely wired dif differently. And that's a great thing to acknowledge. That's not when, especially when you hear a diagnosis, it's an acknowledgement that says, okay, I need to, I am aware of this. I acknowledge it. I'm not ignoring it. I'm not brushing it under the rug and I'm not making an excuse for it. It's a great thing to be aware of because then you know you have a completely different set of tools that work for your child versus other tools that might not be as effective. Doesn't make anybody lazy or, and, oh, it's no big deal and, and brushed under the rug. Absolutely not. And I think it's really helpful to, to always have that ongoing communication with other professionals, with parents and, and with professionals. As a professional, we want to educate you. We want to tell you as much as possible. And sometimes this torrent of information can come out at you. And it's because we have so much that we want to share. And I often tell my parents, especially when they're very concerned that their child may be diagnosed or that they have ADHD, I often share with them that there is no judgment to that parent. There's no it's not that you did anything wrong. It's not that anybody was bad. This isn't a punishment. This simply is where this person is. And that's a great thing to know because we know where they are and we know where they can go. When it comes to reading and how you pointed out that sequencing, and it can absolutely be, be missed, especially because reading, we, we expose our children to books, but reading, unless you're starting a, a toddler reading program, is a later developing skill, depending on when they actually start to show interest in what they're reading. So we often encourage exposure to books. When you can expose them to things, that's a great thing. It raises everybody's awareness. And the fact that the teacher pointed out that the sequencing was a little difficult, that's phenomenal to know because now we can approach things totally different. Okay, let me start at the basics first, second, third, and even having a written, a, a written sequence of what happened first in our story, what happened next in our story, and what happened third, and walking them through them. Oh, well, I think, you know what we forgot? We forgot that they crossed the bridge and even making it fun rather than testing. What did they do next? What did they do next? What did they do next? When we can make it fun, it's much more engaging and we have that beautiful neuroplasticity that will occur and they can really start to piece it together, especially if they know that they're having difficulty with something and you start to do a sequence with them and then you purposefully mess up something. So let's say you're making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and you're asking them for help and you go, oh, okay, I, I just put the two slices together. They can go, no, 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 we have to put something in between. When you do that, you're showing them that it's okay to have some difficulties, but also that they can actually work through it and say, and be in charge. Often we're telling our children what to do, when to go, where to go and how to do it, but they get the power of being in charge and they get the power of knowing and going, oh, I did it. I figured it out. I knew something was missing and they light up completely differently. And as you're doing those little things, like making a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, they can get to those complex things like go upstairs, brush your teeth, wash your face, grab a book and get into bed after your pajamas are on. Two totally different sequences, especially when you have something that's right in front of you and it's very familiar making a sandwich versus, okay, go upstairs and do that and wait for me. Much, much harder. We don't often think about that because it's just natural to us, especially if we have a, if we, if one of our children developing is completely typically developing. 
we don't, we're, we're like, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing this? Versus, okay, maybe I need to approach it differently. Something else is going on here. Let me be the detective and figure out what else is going on and how I can best support my child. I have a question. Um, this is my 15 minutes with better speech. Just kidding. But I have a question about processing speed and um, ADHD. So um, it do sometimes take longer to process input. How long should we be waiting? In, and I know this may vary with age, but like in between giving commands, because often I'll find that myself as a parent and other parents are like rattling off commands and the um, child doesn't have the time to like fully process what's being said. And so then they forget everything past the first thing. Completely. Mm -hmm. When we say process for all of our listeners, that means they take in the information and their brain can make sense of it for them to have some kind of action. Completely, that was an awesome question. And I love that you pointed out. So when it comes to processing language, especially for our really little ones. So when we're asking, when we first start asking commands, our one-year-olds, our two-year-olds, um, you know, show me your nose first, show me your nose, show me your nose, show me your nose, when we bombard them and they, they need at least 10 seconds to really process, minimum of 10 seconds because what they're doing is they're hearing information and then they have to go through their filing bank and figure out what you just asked them. When it comes to a yes and no question, is your name Lenora? I've now heard my name 342,000 times a day when I was a baby. So as at two years old, they, I should know my name for sure. Versus, what do you want to eat? Let's go to the fridge and go figure out what you want to eat. That's a lot harder of a command. They know that they're asking, they're being asked to eat something. But now we just opened the cannon and said, what? It's WH question. We gave them no specific direction. So they have to go through all their food bank to figure out what they would like to eat. Especially in 2023, we are, as adults, we are already going 10 times faster than children. And then we add caffeine to the mix. And the fact that we're running late and everybody's in a hurry. When it comes to your little ones, everything slows down. Think like turtle speed and really be present. When you can acknowledge that getting out the door, getting dressed is going to be a much longer process than three minutes that you can tear through it. It allows for the expansion of, okay, we're going to do this in a 15 or 20 minute block. And that way you're taking the pressure off of your child. You're taking the pressure off of you and you're allowing yourself to both be present, but also to process the task that's being asked of them, such as let's put our shoes on and get dressed to go outside. Okay. And if it's winter, this is going to be quite the expedition and allow them to really, let's go find our shoes. Okay, great. Let's pick out a scarf. And when you can slow down and acknowledge that you need to go slow, but also slow down your speech. Oftentimes we're, we're going a mile a minute. And we, especially when we have caffeine, we really need to slow our pace. And when we can slow our pace, as if you were going to be a speaker on a television show and you want to speak clearly and not professionally, but at a different pace, you want to be heard and you want your little one to hear you. So when we can slow down in general and control these factors, such as the time, the rate of my speech, acknowledging that I should be present and I'm gonna let my little one hear me, 
they will have a better processing experience and understand much more. When we are rushing them, they're now not only trying to figure out what you're asking of them, now they're trying to do it in a hurry. It's a lot of pressure and the system goes and goes offline and they have a lot of trouble processing and then we have a meltdown. So those are definitely the factors to be aware of and that are in your control, especially if your little one is having processing difficulties. I love that. Um, <clears throat> we've talked about this before and it's probably something we'll continue to discuss throughout the season, but when you have a neurodivergent kiddo, it is not unusual for to feel like they are, um, it takes longer to pick up on stuff. So it's like, oh, this kid next to their same, same age counterpart, this one can follow multi-step directions. Your neurodivergent kiddo is still kind of needing some prompting. So I think that that like normalizing that is really important for our listeners. And then I love that you talked about the filing cabinet. So this is a very real skill that we can implement today. Right after you hear this, guys, you can implement speaking slowly. And that's something that we talk about a lot as therapists also, especially if you're working with someone who's experienced any kind of trauma, speak slowly because of processing. And so you mentioned like, my name is Lenora, which I love your name, by the way. Thank you. Um, and I, I know that right now, right? I can, I can pull it up quick because I've just had the practice and the repetition, repetition so many times. And so when I was talking to my kiddo's teacher, who's phenomenal, they all have her best interests at heart. You know, we're all trying to be collaborative. I was, I was saying like, you know, I tell myself she's not going to go off to college, not knowing how to read. Like we continue meeting her where she's at. And we just continue that consistent, slow, steady progress because those neural connections in the brain, like we talk about hacking our brain all the time when you have uh, executive differences, right? So it's trying to find a workaround that makes most sense to that kiddo's brain. And so I feel the same way about my daughter where I'm like, you know, just slow, consistent practice to continue to build those neural connections and she will gain the skills, but because it's it's differently wired, we're figuring out a new way, we're, we're beating our own drum, trudging our own path, it's going to take a little bit longer. Completely. Well, you said that beautifully. I think too, as parents, um, Paige, you might have a similar experience to me. We put so much pressure on ourselves to make sure we're doing all the things for our kids, especially when they are neurodivergent and we feel like maybe we need to do things differently, that sometimes that pressure comes through in the way we're um, working with our child and it can... Um, then cause that, like, we're not going slow enough because I'm pressuring you to read or to work on this thing. And it, then it's too much and you shut down and you don't actually work on it or learn anything. So giving yourself the permission to say like, I'm not going to send my kid to college, not reading, right? Like mm -hmm. uh, we're working on it. We're taking those slow, consistent steps and I can slow myself down because that's about me and my feelings about when they should be reading, not at all about where my child is. Yeah. And it can be really hard to be that middle person when there's expectations, like let's say from the school system, the expectation is that they're reading at this level because we have standardized testing and blah, 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 blah. And then our kiddos over here and we're really acting as that filter and that advocate of like, I understand this is the expectation and like having to filter that to slow ourselves down, to regulate enough to not be um, applying that same pressure to our kids. Completely. And I think that the big thing, especially when you, you allow yourself, I love that you said permission, when you allow yourself permission to acknowledge that A, you're doing your best, they're doing their best. And to have that repetition is a great thing. 
but really before so let's let's use specifically reading and writing when we sit down to read at night what's the outcome that you want to have so even approaching any task what i want them to get it i want to want them to get it right now okay brain i got it thank you for being so on top of that brain but what i need to you right now is what do we want right now what's the goal what's the outcome that i want from this moment of engagement that I'm going to be present and I'm going to allow us the time and the space to slow down and to process what we're actually doing. What are we doing? Yes, we're reading, but we're reading a story. And as, as a parent or a guardian to that child, you're having a, a yes, educational moment, but you're also having a really personable, lovely moment together. And to acknowledge that and say, you know what, we're doing our best. And, and you know what, if all we got today was the p sound, great, phenomenal. And if we didn't get the p sound today, that's okay. We did our best. And to be able to reflect on once you end that and then or whatever the case may be, and you go, you know what, we did our best today. And that's all that matters is that we showed up, especially because once we, the more information we have, especially when you're a therapist and you're a parent, you have a ton of stuff bubbling at your head. You're like, okay, let me try it this way. 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 And it can be overwhelming. And if you say, you know what, which, which hat am I going to wear right now? Am I going to wear my mom slash my therapist hat? Am I going to just wear my mom hat? Am I just going to wear my therapist hat? Which one? But to find that balance that says, okay, if I'm going to wear both, what's the balance that I want to have in this moment? I want to be supportive of my child and I'm going to go with one or two techniques and that's what I'm going to stick with. And that way they know who's there and in that moment with them and it's not flipping back and forth between mom and therapist, but also they can predict when there's repetition, they know what to expect and mm -hmm. it helps that nervous system to really acclimate and say, okay, this is our reading time. I know what to expect. Whereas if they can be stressful at times, they are very wired into that and they can feel when there's a stressful moment faster than you can going, something's going to going right and, and they'll take off and it might be meltdown. So to make it as pleasant of a engagement as possible really, really goes a long way and saying, you know what, we're just going to allow the time. We're not rushing for dinner. This isn't this time. This is now the time to really practice our sequencing and mm -hmm. spend whatever amount of time you want on it and just do your best. They, they, as in their nervous system, but also the other version of you ahead of time will actually be able to go, that was a great decision. I'm so glad I did that. Yeah. And really trying to train ourselves to slow down is the hard part as parents, right? I think we've talked <laughs> about that a lot. Um, when I was thinking about the first semester of her schooling, we would get to reading time and she's trying to meet these expectations. It would turn into a total completely dysregulated where she's screaming and she's sobbing because it feels too hard. And that's for me as a parent, it took a minute to reflect and realize like, I want her to have a positive relationship with books and with reading and with literacy. And even though the expectation is that she's doing this right from the school, at this time, like that's not where we're at. And mm -hmm. I can't make okay. that happen, right? Because the nervous system needs to have predictable levels of safety even to learn and to forge those paths. Um, 
So we mentioned a couple times that there are milestones and guides and things. And I think it's really important for our parents that listen to be aware of those kinds of things like as a resource so we can bring up potentially some concerns and seek help. Is there, uh, this is a two part question so get ready for sequential directions. <laughs> is there a place for us to access a guide or milestones or something as a resource as a parent that we can use to advocate for our kid? And then would you tell us how to find you um, where your socials are, the website for better speech, what that looks like. Amazing questions. I love the sequencing component. Um, first off, for milestones, I I go my go-to is the board that I'm certified by. So the American Speech Hearing Language Association. It's called ASHA and or ASHA.org. And on there they have beautiful guidelines of receptive language development and expressive language development and how to help. And I absolutely love that. I think it's just laid out so clearly. And I think that's really important, especially because you can get lost on these other websites and then other people may add their two cents or may shift some guidelines. I prefer the one that I was trained with clinically. So that is typically where I send parents. So asha.org, A-S-H-A.org. Um, as for better speech, you can visit us at betterspeech.com. And there are a ton of resources on there for you, along with this incredible podcast. And um, that we, we, our platform, I'm so proud of our platform because we have been online since long before the pandemic. So we are very comfortable with Zoom. And we also have a phenomenal practice library, especially when you have little ones. And it's so important to make it functional. And I don't know if you guys, I, I grew up in the 80s and the 90s. And my study time was very, very structured at sit down at a table and this is how we study. These days, especially when we have little ones, we can make it so much more interactive because we have technology and you can make it fun. And there's already speech and language games on our platform at Better Speech, but also you can then include people that are in your home. So your sister can play or your brother and, and grandma can, you can show them all these cool things that we, we have on there. And I love that because it really creates a fun learning environment the more fun you can make things the more learning will occur and the more enjoyment will occur and that is a great thing for social media we are on instagram and tiktok and youtube and facebook so if anybody has questions or you would like to leave comments please head over to our social media and um especially if you want us to do videos on something specific or if you have a specific question leave it there because we will absolutely reach back out to you with some very helpful information and last but not least, that 15 free minute consultation. So if you have any concerns, please, please, please reach out to us at Better Speech and we will do our very best to answer in any, any and all of your questions and offer you more guidance. Yeah, I love that. And something I think many people listening might not know is that it can take months on a wait list to get into speech and language services traditionally through your insurance or through the educational system is a whole other monster. Um, so Better Speech is an accessible resource. I believe it has a flat rate. It can be more flexible working virtually within your home um, and within your scheduling. And you can get that 15 minute consultation really quickly. And I am not paid by Better Speech. I'm just nope. letting you know that I secretly openly love it and its accessibility <laughs> for you guys. I love that you secretly, openly love it. <laughs> I was like secretly, but it's not a secret now. 
<laughs> and I think that that 15 minutes is so nice because there's so many parents of questions like, is this normal? Mm-hmm. And it, like you said earlier, like in six months, that might not be a relevant question, or you might not even remember that you had that question or concern, but then you can just get your questions answered, see if um, speech therapy would be beneficial. And it's all in one place. That's like super convenient and, and fast. It's, it's so true, especially because we are fully across the nation and we are um, international also. So we are licensed oh, yeah. in um, all the states and we are over 150 therapists strong. So it's, it's, we're very, very proud of that. It's a great, Incredible. great company. Incredible. Well, follow Better Speech on TikTok and Instagram, submit your questions because they like to provide free content and answer those <laughs> questions reach out with any anything else. Remember the resources are at asha.org, A-S-H-A.org. And thanks you guys for tuning in this week to Mindful as a Mother. Bye. Lindsay and I talk a lot about the nervous system in parenting, and we have just launched a totally free resource because we understand how hard it is just to understand the foundations and figure out what your triggers are to learn how to regulate your nervous system. So we have created the nervous system um, foundation. We call it Nervous System 101, and we're going to go ahead and put the link in our show notes. So if you want to learn the foundation and basics that we teach about regulating your nervous system, don't forget to check it out. Thanks for coming to Mindful as a Mother podcast. If you'd like more of us and Mindful as a Mother, you can find Paige at Instagram at Parenting with Paige and Lindsay at Linz underscore Adams LCSW. Find us on TikTok, Instagram, and in our Facebook group, creating community and smashing parental stigma, embracing mindful motherhood and positive parenting. Thanks so much and see you next time.